Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I've got another episode for you guys. Um, not entirely sure what this episode is going to be about. It's probably going to be another fairly rambly episode, fairly out there, just kind of talk about all sorts of stuff that's been going on with me, which there hasn't been that much going on with me, but... Um, I have been reading some some good books recently, so I think I'm going to talk about that more than a bit. Um, so yeah, that I think is what the episode is going to be about. Let's get into it. All right, so what has been going on with me? Um... Let's see. So I I have not played that many games. I did get a chance to play in the Ash game um, last weekend, last Saturday, and then in a special session of Shadowrun 3rd Edition um, that was a lot of fun. Um, my buddy Kevin Madison of the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel ran both of those. Um, those are the only two games that I got in, but um, had a lot of fun. Shadowrun Third, I thought was um, really interesting. It um, reminds me, in some ways, of these Riddle of Steel games that I like so much. Um, one of the the big things being the use of a a um, combat pool, essentially your um, physical and mental energy within a round of combat that uh, determines kind of how much you uh, how much you can do or rather in the case of Shadowrun it's not entirely how much you can do but how much you can add to your actions um, and then there was some other cool stuff I really liked. One of the things that I thought was really cool is that um, melee combat, rather than being a um, roll to hit, roll for damage type thing, melee combat is a contested roll. So it's about um, beating your opponent in a duel, essentially, rather than um, just hitting them, which I think is a really cool. I always am a big fan of that. And so that... Um, that concept because I feel like it makes um, characters who are uh, more capable feel um, feel like that often in a lot of ways in a way that um, sometimes to hit and to wound mechanics don't um, specifically that to hit and to wound mechanics um, don't account for the idea that the character who is uh, being attacked is defending themselves, really. Um, and that's one of my sort of pet peeves in um, in gaming is that I feel like a, um, a capable warrior, you know, in the case of something like D&D, as a fighter levels up, right, and they get better at fighting, they... Um, also get better at at parrying right essentially that their their fighting ability is not just getting better at hitting things but it's better at all parts of fighting or at least that's what seems realistic to me and so a system that for instance just uses ac and doesn't modify that by like the character's level or anything like that seems like it doesn't really take into account this idea if that makes sense um which is actually one of the things I think Pathfinder 2 does a, a good job of this, although Pathfinder 2 has its own kind of quirks. But Pathfinder 2, for instance, a character's um, level is factored into their armor class uh, generally um, because it, assuming that they're at least trained in the specific armor that they're wearing, um, then it reflects, I think, this idea that the characters are... Um, yeah, learning how to how to parry, how to block, all of that sort of stuff, in addition to being better at hitting things. And I, I like the way that, like, for instance, the wizard character will basically always be just just trained in their armor, their cloth. But um, the uh, 
the the fighter characters are likely to become experts or um, whatever the the higher levels are. I can't remember all the different levels. I think one of them is legendary. That's the highest one, and that's level plus an additional bonus. Because trained is level plus one, I think, and then expert is level plus three. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Anyway, but the idea being that they're they're gaining the ability to defend themselves at a faster rate than like the wizards are because they're they're more martial focused. That anyway, that seems uh, cool to me. So anyway, I really liked in Shadowrun Third Edition this idea of. Um, melee combat being a a back and forth duel and rather than a roll to hit roll to wound um i liked a lot of stuff about Shadowrun third it was a lot of fun my character was um a a street samurai who was pretty deadly um both with a sword and with guns not quite as deadly with a sword as um jason hobbs adept character who was a an orcish adept um who is even deadlier with a sword than my character, which was pretty wild. But um, my character was much deadlier with guns than his character was. Um, so we kind of traded off there. And then uh, my buddy Dave played a, uh, a mage, a caster. Um, and we did, we did basically uh, about an hour's worth of kind of combat practice just against each other. Um, that turned into kind of a story thing. Hobbs Hobbs came up with the idea that oh, this was like an old an old assignment that we had a while ago to uh, assassinate each other, basically, and nobody succeeded. So now we work together. Um, kind of a fun little little story idea, and um, basically we uh, we we did that. And then we did uh, three hours or so of adventure. We did not get super far in the adventure as as uh, kind of standard for us with one shots. Um, but we had a lot of fun with it, I think. Um, and it's a it's kind of an interesting shadow run, of course. Um, has a reputation for being very kind of gritty and urban and all that sort of stuff. And then the adventure actually goes to the Amazon jungle, the jungles of Amazonia, which is a sort of the state that arose after the fall of Brazil. Um, and um, that's kind of a neat, interesting twist. It seems like seems like that's part of what Kevin likes about the adventure is this idea of a sort of twist on the standard shadow run, um, stuff and um yeah it was it was a lot of fun um shadow run third and then ash ash was good fun too we had a, a big crew which is always great um the session before we had i think four players there and then this session we had i think six um which is always really good to have a a big crew of players that always feels fun. And it always, uh, one of the things about these kind of drop in, drop out games is that a big crew of players means that you can take on a lot more, um, a lot more challenge, right? Is that if we're, if we're not kind of, uh, abstracting out the idea of having, um, those characters there if we're not right if if we're not playing with those characters and so you go from having essentially four actions in combat to six actions in combat that sort of thing then um there's a lot more that your your characters can take on which is uh, a really good feeling um it, it's a nice way to emphasize the idea of kind of camaraderie and working together and all that sort of stuff that it it feels like um, you've got more, uh, more power when you've got a big group, basically more, more capable, a lot more capability when you've got a big group. That's always a, a kind of really cool. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about the way that we do, um, the, uh, the the drop in drop out stuff is the the way that it creates that feeling that um the sense 
of like, yes, we've got a lot more capability now because we've got a big group that that's always fun um the the trade-off is of course that when you have a small group and you had planned on doing something sometimes it's like oh shit we we can't really get done what we had been um planning on doing so now we have to uh to shift our our tactics or our plans or something like that so um and that's not not uh, impossible to deal with. It does it does get a little irksome sometimes, especially when like it's a long session. A long session with only three guys is difficult. Um, only three. Well, we we mostly play um, pretty much exclusively with men, so that's the three guys part. But um, a four hour session where you only have three players and you had six the last time becomes a little difficult sometimes. But a um, a long session with six players is like, oh, hell yeah, we can take on the world. So it's, it's you know, a trade-off. Um, anyway, but it was really good fun to have a big group of guys, a big group of players um, for Ash. Um, we did some damage to Fergus Shude, the, the villain of this section of the the campaign he's this this atlantean ghost that has been researching all these kind of ways to immortalify himself basically um it seems like and has turned himself into a a ghost so he's uh he's pretty nasty um pretty pretty wild um Anyway, uh, so we have been fighting him and trying to deal with him, and um, he's low on health right now, so we're feeling pretty good if we can find his. We're thinking there's like some sort of like a, like with a lich, like a phylactery or something that he's uh, his consciousness is based around. Basically, have I had imagined like a. Um, a matrix bubble or something almost that he's his body might be in or something like that, or his brain might be in. he might be a, like a brain in a jar who knows exactly what it is. Although I'm sure we will find out as we uh, progress through the um, last couple of rooms that we have not checked um, in terms of the, the, this Atlantean um, tower that we are um, exploring. So, and the Atlantean tower has been interesting. I am, I am normally, uh, well, I, I think dungeon crawls are sort of a, an artifact of kind of gaminess often. They're a, a sort of game structure rather than a story structure, if that makes sense. Um, they make sense uh, it, it, unless you have a particular sort of world. It seems like there wouldn't be that many kind of like actual dungeons in the world to investigate. Um, so it's been interesting um, having this kind of dungeon crawl essentially a dungeon crawl or a, a location crawl i guess you might say instead of a dungeon crawl through um the atlantean tower but um you know it hasn't been it hasn't been bad by any means it just feels more like something uh out of D D rather than something out of um robert e howard if that makes sense um as a a concept so that's that's just sort of me on um dungeon crawls and and this this whole idea of um game structures and all of that sort of stuff that in my opinion uh the well yeah that's that's I think all that needs to be said there. But I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's been it's been good good fun messing around in the Atlantean Tower. My character is a lot of fun. He's not um, the sort of character that I normally play. By which I mean, for one thing, he's a cleric, and I I don't 
uh, play casters very much um, for uh, a number of reasons, but one of the reasons um, has to do with the um, the the resources management element of the game that um, in essence, I um, one of the things that I like is that in D and D based games, fighters often have kind of the longest um, resource time if that makes sense that that essentially in in a lot of especially in early D where you don't have a lot of at will powers and stuff um a lot of times fighters are the ones who uh kind of can uh can stay in the fight the longest um are less dependent on resources that they use up aside from hit points and often they have the most hit points out of out of anybody in the group because they're the fighter hit dice um and therefore they have a a nice kind of staying power that i like um and and that translates into among other things something to do pretty much every turn of a fight um one of the things with xanico my um cleric is that there's definitely um a much more passive role in a lot of these fights um just because he's not really good at hitting things um so it doesn't make sense for him to charge to the front um as well as the fact that he um has the spells that help people out but a lot of his spells are things like you know um, his his prayer is basically just um stand there and do the prayer thing for the duration of the fight or if he gets hit for a um a limited duration after getting hit basically um so he doesn't have like you know essentially doesn't have something um active to do every turn almost and that that uh is just not the the sort of character that i often play i often play um you know aggressive melee fighters who um always are always smacking are are attacking all the time so it's been interesting i i enjoyed xanico as a character a lot um he's a, a fun character to play uh and he's a really fun. I really enjoy the um, the kind of weird uh, sort of Mesoamerican um, world cultural thing that he's got going on because that's really cool. It's very um, you know, it's not kind of standard European fantasy, um, and that's really neat. Um, so, you know, that's really cool. Um, I, yeah, I'm enjoying the Ash campaign. It's the, the first one that I ever played on the Dungeon Musings channel. And um, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I, I really like it. And I, because of, so uh, I don't know, I don't remember how much I've talked about it on here, but basically, um, relatively recently, it's now been like a month, I started a new antidepressant, um, which has been um, a mostly positive, but slightly mixed bag, I guess you might say. Um, Essentially, I... uh, I feel really good during the days in particular. Um, I, I feel alert and energized and um, positive and all that sort of stuff, uh, especially during the day. Um, but I kind of burn through energy faster than, um, than I would otherwise. And the result is that in the evenings, I am often much more tired. And so I haven't been playing the evening games uh, with the guys, which I'm really, really trying to figure out how to get back to that. But um, for right now, it seems like that is probably not in the cards. um, Unless I like have a a late afternoon or an early evening coffee or something like that, that might work. Um, But that's, uh, 
well, anyway, um, all, all I need to say about that, I think, is just that um, I uh, cannot wait to be, hopefully, my... Um, It feels like my uh, mentality, my my experience of this uh, antidepressant is kind of changing over time um, and is getting closer to sort of positive during the day and then having more energy total. Um, and therefore, hopefully, I will be able to return to the evening games soon enough. Um, but yeah, it, uh, right now it's not working for that really. And so I have not played night below in a little while. Um, and I, uh, would very much like to, but, uh, you know, I, the, the, the benefits of this antidepressant are definitely worth, um, worth it to me, um, I feel I feel really good during the days. I feel really positive, really energized, really um, just really good, you know. So it's not it's not the sort of thing that I think makes any sense to um, quit. So yeah, that that's uh, that means no night below for me for a while, um, which is you know. I'm sure, I mean, the guys all are very understanding um, and they're, you know, great guys, very, very, you know, nice people and, and very understanding and all that sort of stuff. So it's not like there's a um, an issue in the sense that I um, am, you know, they're not going to go like, oh, you you didn't show up for a while. Now you're not invited back, that sort of thing. They're, they're very understanding and um, that's really great. And so um, I will be back. If you're listening to this, guys, I will do my best to be back soon. Baragor will return to wreak havoc upon Herenshire once again, um, but it may take a little while. So that's, that's that. Anyway, um, but yeah, I the the takeaway from this segment I think should be that the games that I played were really fun. Shadowrun Third Edition and Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers of Hyperborea, both fun games that I had a, a lot of fun playing, um, and and great guys to play with too. Uh, especially, oh, give a special shout out to uh, Jason Hobbs and David uh, J Fortier who played in the Shadowrun session because that was sort of an extra session. And they are both signed up, not this weekend, but next weekend to play the uh, Pendragon session that Kevin is going to run. He wants to try out uh, Pendragon, see how he feels about the the system, essentially, and um, give it a whirl. Um there's a, a, I think one of the one of the things that we've talked about um, about it that it seems like is a big uh, influence on him is that um, it's very very uh, modular. It's very um, flexible in a lot of ways, and in particular, the um, kind of early stuff you can run it as totally essentially a kind of like long term. Uh, generational dark fantasy game essentially that um, uh, or low fantasy dark fantasy I guess you might uh, say specifically because there's not a whole lot of magic um, at least on the player side you can kind of tweak the dials and do more or less magic if you want to for the 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 world um, but on the player side at least there's not a lot of magic so um, that kind of shifts the focus. But anyway, um, Kevin, of course, is really big into games with uh, legacy. This kind of generational element seems like it totally fits in with something like the way that we have been playing um, second edition D&D, where it's very much a kind of long-term endeavor. There's a lot of kind of like, you know, a lot of downtime, a lot of, a lot of, time spent in the world 
um, seems like a big, a big factor in that. And so, um, yeah, um, I'm hopeful that it, uh, is a great session for, for everybody. And I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, three players is a really good, uh, a good amount for Pendragon um, for a, a four-hour session. You know, um, Pendragon has such a, a emphasis on kind of larger than life, or at least very, very strong characters with with kind of strong opinions and and strong um, passions and ideals and, and, and values and all that sort of stuff. And so therefore I think it, um, it works well with a, a, a slightly smaller group that is more interested in kind of exploring those things than say the kind of like big group dungeon crawl sort of thing that we do sometimes, um, you know, more, more time on the spotlight per character and less time spent, um, just, you know, using up your your uh character resources to smack things or to to wizard away things like a, a kind of classic dungeon crawl so anyway um basically that's uh yeah so that's coming up it is going to be a lot of fun um i'm i'm really excited about the pendragon session um, partly because Shadowrun was so much fun. It was a good reminder of like how much fun these kind of special sessions can be. Um, and yeah, um, I'm really excited for, for Pendragon. Going to be really cool. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really love Pendragon. Not just because it's Arthurian, but I think it, it speaks to, a lot of the stuff that I really like in other other settings and other narratives and other stuff that particularly the kind of strong character based feel and the sort of introspective element with the characters and the the sense that the characters have have character really that is defined and is is uh, appreciable and tangible almost that they have like a subconscious almost um, that is something that I really like just as a general thing. And the fact that it's kind of Arthurian um, myth and all that sort of stuff is just sort of icing on the cake. So anyway, I'm at 27 minutes and you can only record for 30 minutes on once online. So I am going to pause the recording here and then come back and ramble some more probably, or maybe just go to the outro. Who knows? It's been a long, it's been already 27 minutes already. So it might just be outro time. I'm going to think about it. All right. I'll be back in a second. All right. I am back and I'm going to talk about books for a little bit. Um, I've been reading a fair bit. Um, just in terms of, you know, my, um, I guess you would say that my um, gaming, because it has declined a little bit, um, it has become a thing where I have been reading more, um, which is, you know, is good. Um, it's always a, a trade-off in terms of uh, how you spend your time and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm trading off. I'm, I'm reading more instead of gaming, essentially. Um, which is okay. It's, you know, it's a, a nice change of pace on some ways. Um, I'm, I'm hanging out and reading. Anyway, I've been reading a fair bit. Um, yesterday I read most of Carl Edward Wagner's Bloodstone, which I'm not going to talk about first. Um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, I'm gonna gonna go chronologically and just talk about some of the books that I've read recently. I think I mentioned reading Jack London, um, The Call of the Wild, White Fang, and other stories in the uh, Oxford um, University Press uh, edition is the one that I I found a copy of and read. 
um, Oxford University Press, obviously a a or um, Oxford the 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 Oxford Classics, not University Press. Oxford Classics um, are are a great um, line of books in translation. They tend to be really good translations. Obviously, Jack London not translated, but just a, a collection, uh, a good collection of stories. There was obviously Call the Wild and White Fang, the two kind of novels, and then uh, a number of short stories. I thought the best of the short stories was the last one, um, To Build a Fire, which is uh, a story similar. All of the short stories were were similar to Call the Wild and White Fang in that they're, they're sort of stories about dogs and wilderness and all of that sort of stuff. Dogs and wolves and wilderness classic classic material um but yeah um i don't know call the wild i think i read as a kid and i think i might have mentioned that the last time i talked about it um but white fang i definitely did not read as a kid and i thought it was great um and and to build a fire was great the other stuff it was pretty good um not not uh not so good that I was like, oh, I have to I have to read all the rest of Jack London's work. Um, but I thought it was it was quite good. Um, I'd definitely read White Fang and uh, To Build a Fire again if I can find. I assume that Jack London wrote a number more um, short stories, some of which are not related to um, the the kind of Call the Wild and White Fang thematic stuff. So. I might try to see if I can find a collection like that. That would be fun. Um, but yeah, it was fun to read some Jack London. Um, it's it's great kind of wildernessy adventure stuff. Um, man against the environment, um, and that was fun. So then after that, I read Karnov, the Phantom-clad Rider of the Cosmic Ice. Um, and that was a ton of fun um, in a lot of ways. It was um, not a, a capital G great book, but definitely a capital F fun book. It's um, it's weird. It's um, kind of gonzo and out there. There's some kind of like planes, planar shift stuff that goes on. Karnov, the main character, is... Um, ennobled by this cosmic ice power that allows him to slay vampires and absorb their souls and power up to be even deadlier. And, um, yeah, he, he goes around on a murderous rampage killing vampires and, um, it's pretty fun, pretty, pretty wacky and out there. The, the particular writing style is very purple, but in like a, a really fun over the top way. Um, and that one is published by DMR Books, who um, are a pretty good publisher. I've read a couple of their um, books by now, and they're all all of the stuff that I've read has been kind of um, later day sword and sorcery stuff, um, kind of sword and sorcery, but from a, a period after. Howardian Sword and Sorcery, basically, or more more modern stuff in the sense that it was written more recently, but still kind of captures that um, heroic feel. And Karnov is definitely like that. It's it's a little more kind of high fantasy in the the kind of Elric way with the sort of planar stuff. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's fun and weird and you should check it out and check out the rest of, of DMR books, publishing stuff um, because it's, it's good stuff. And then I read Lords of Battle image and reality of the Comitatus in dark age, Britain. Um, that one was uh, fun. It was nonfiction, um, but it's about a period that really interests me, which is kind of um, this, this book particularly was about um war bands in Britain from like 450 to 750 or so. Um, and it's really about kind of like the, 
the limited amount of information that we have about the period, we have some archaeological information, we have a couple of written sources, but not a whole lot of material. It doesn't really touch on anything kind of historical Arthur related, which um, is what originally got me into the period. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, a good a good overview of pretty much all of the material that we have related to said period um, in terms of uh, historical research for, for military matters. Um, and it presents a lot of, uh, I think there's something to be said for reading it uh, in terms of learning about um, Dark Ages, society as a way to think about our games because a lot of um despite the kind of technology level a lot of uh the social level of a lot of uh, game worlds is very kind of dark ages -y in a lot of ways and so it it sort of presents a number of ideas and um talks about how, in particular, one of the things that I think can be um, difficult is, is thinking about how um, people, non-modern people thought, um, which is to say that, you know, um, there's a lot of things that we know now that people who do not, did not live in modern times did not know, but that doesn't mean that those people were stupid, right? That's a, that's kind of a big um, they're, they're still intelligent, thoughtful people. And in particular, it doesn't mean that they didn't have solutions to problems that we might foresee. Um, a big one has to do to mean you with, um, one of the things that D and D does not, I think, do a very good job of is the, um, wandering adventurer as, an agent of chaos, essentially. Um, and by that, I mean the idea that um, historically and in, in games, generally, wandering adventurers cause um, chaos, right? They're armed men who are not associated with, or armed men and women who are not associated with a particular... Um, liege lord or anything like that who are just sort of going about willy-nilly and are probably doing in the case of D, D are often um killing monsters and doing good but they're still causing chaos and one of the things about that is that dark age's societies and medieval societies had solutions for these sorts of problems right they didn't they didn't just have wandering adventurers going around and wrecking shit and all that sort of stuff all the time they had ways of dealing with this through things like um pacts and through kind of cultural um indoctrination for lack of a better term in the kind of particular values of the culture and through um association between lords and and warriors to try to limit this sort of thing right to make it so that there are less kind of unaligned armed warriors wandering about so that the warriors will be aligned with somebody and i think that is something that DD does not um do a very good job with often, um, but that this might kind of help suggest ways to to think about that. That, um, you know, if the adventurers show up in town and, you know, kill a whole bunch of goblins or something like that, the town's reaction might be, well, let's get these guys out of here quick because they cause chaos. Or it might be, let's figure out a way to, um, rather than treat them as kind of, well, it's similar to, I think, a, a misunderstanding about mercenaries that we have in the modern world relative to the medieval world. One of the things about mercenaries in the ancient and medieval world is that they are um, often the only source of professional soldiery in, in the world, really. Um, and therefore, while we with um, modern nation states often think of mercenaries as kind of less capable, less effective, as sort of um, 
sort of a crutch to support a military often um, in ancient and medieval society, it was, it was sort of the other way around that the mercenaries form really the core of the army um, because they are professionals who are um, working for pay rather than the kind of levied troops that form the sort of supporting elements. Um, anyway, which is just a sort of interesting thing to talk about, but basically to, to put that in terms of D&D, that... Um, the player characters as sort of mercenaries for a lord that may not be a position that is nearly as um, shall we say um, well that um, the relationship of of power between them the kind of negotiations between them the um, maybe different than what we might expect from uh, a modern sort of mercenary contract, if that makes sense, um, and the way we are accustomed to think about mercenaries in the modern world. But that's all sort of anyway. That's that's kind of getting away from Lords of Battle as a book. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then I read a collection of Elric stories. I read the the fantasy masterworks collection Elric, um, which has uh, four or five short stories and then the uh, novel. Let me double check. Um, novel in four parts. That's kind of the big finale Elric story. Um, let me double check. The, I'm looking at the Goodreads page or pulling it up right now to, to remind myself of the titles of all of this stuff um uh stealer of souls the collection and stormbringer the novel so stealer of souls includes the dreaming city which is the sacking of uh Imrir, the 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 home of the melnemonians um, while the gods laughed, stealers of souls kings in darkness the caravan of forgotten dreams um, and then Stormbringer, the, uh, the, the novel in four parts. Um, anyway, Elric was fun. Um, I go back and forth on Michael Moorcock cause I, I enjoy a lot of his works, but some of them are a little more kind of trippy than I, I tend to like, um, Especially with my my fantasy, I tend to like my kind of gritty, muscle-powered violence in in my uh, sword and sorcery fantasy, and so the kind of weird, um, trippy fantasy stuff of Elric is uh, not not bad by any means, and I, I enjoyed the Elric collection a lot, but um, it's not necessarily what I am most most into um so but it was pretty fun i felt like the collection got got better as it went on i i really in particular liked the way that it kind of creates a a um there's a way in which the the way this collection is put together it creates a sort of really good overarching narrative that um i i assume was intentional from the, the collector of this collection, um, as well as probably from Michael Moorcock himself. But, but really, there's some kind of omissions from the Elric corpus that I think highlight this um, arc, the saga arc, essentially, um, that I thought was, was good. Um, then, next book... We're getting we're getting close to books that I finished just recently. Is the Dream Castles, Early Jack Vance Volume Two. So there are uh, five volumes of Early Jack Vance stories by um, I think Subterranean Press is the the press that put them out, and they are nice enough to put out um, digital copies, Kindle Kindle editions. Um, the the hardcover. Um, copies nowadays are pretty expensive for those books but the kindle editions obviously are um not too bad they're like five bucks for each volume 
Um, and they're one of the only ways to get uh, many of these stories. So um, there's a lot of kind of Jack Vance stories there that would otherwise be very, very difficult to find. Um, yeah, Dream Castles was great. Um, Jack Vance is always super fun. Um, really another another kind of like fun tier author, I think, that um, Jack Vance is not um, trying to write or generally not trying to write really kind of, um, you know, high literature or anything like that. He's very much a an author who uh, wrote pulp and um, enjoyed pulp and, and was heavily influenced by it and influenced it himself, um, which is not, not to say that it's bad at all. Um, it's, it's really not bad. And it's clear from this collection and from the other Jackmans that I've read, he's a really talented storyteller and a, a really talented writer. He just, um, was interested in, in particular things, um, and wrote towards those particular things. So, um, dream castles as a collection in particular is really, um, there's a lot of mystery stories more so than the first collection, hard luck diggings. Um, both of them were really good. I think Dream Castles was even better than Hard Luck Diggings. So I'm excited for the third the third book in this series because there are there are five of them. And um, I'm hoping that book three is even better than book two. But yeah, there are um, a couple of, of really standout stories in Dream Castles. They're all um, really of a high quality. Jack Vance is super fun to read. Um, yeah, the, the Dream Castles is a, a strong recommend. Of the things that I read that I'm talking about, I think it might be the strongest recommend of the books that I've finished um, recently. And then I'm going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about one more book that I finished recently, and then I'm going to talk about the books I'm currently reading. So the last book that I finished recently was called Swords of Fire, an anthology of sword and sorcery. And it was all right. Um, it wasn't bad, really. Um, the middle two stories I felt like were weaker than the first and the last story. Um, the first story is probably the strongest in terms of being like really solid sword and sorcery. And then the last story was um, more kind of humorous, a little more comical, um, less, less of the kind of serious gritty um, violence that uh, sword and sorcery tends to be and a little more kind of comic fantasy, I guess you might say a little bit more, um, well, you, you know what I mean, I think. Um, but yeah, it was it was all right. And it was a collection of um, uh, a small collection. It was cheap on the Kindle store, like two bucks or something. Um, so it wasn't, it's not like I regret my purchase. It just, I think by comparison with some of the other stuff that I read, it wasn't quite as strong and really wasn't quite as, um, quite as much of a, a, a quality collection of hidden gems as some of the stuff that I've found. Um, some of the, right, some of these, some of these sword and sorcery collections that have been put together, especially this DMR book stuff um, has been, has had a really high rate of being like kind of interesting out there um, collections of stories that are either kind of hard to find stuff that is um, older or it's new stuff that's in that particular style that's been a lot of fun. Um, this one wasn't DMR books and um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't quite as uh, quality in my opinion, but um, it was still pretty good. The, the first story in particular, I think was, was pretty good. Um, and then the other ones were fine. There's Swords of Fire. Um, not a strong recommendation for me, though. Like I said, if I had to recommend from the books that I'm talking about, um, Dream Castles, I think the early Jack Vance collection is the, the strongest recommendation of the books that I'm talking about. Um, 
I already talked about Jack London, and you probably already know if that's going to be to your style or not. Karnov and Elric are both um, kind of second-tier recommendations in the sense that if you have already read your early Jack Vance, um, Elric you probably already know about, but Karnov you may not know about, and Karnov is pretty fun. Um, a pretty quick read. It's only like, you know, 200 pages or something on the Kindle. So it's not, uh, not too bad. And, um, it's pretty fun, pretty, pretty wild and out there. Um, not, not capital G great literature by any means, but, um, yeah, pretty fun. So yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to pause the recording here again, and then I'm going to come back and talk about the books that I am currently reading because I've got a couple that I'm working on right now that I want to talk about. So stay tuned for that. All right. So the books I'm reading currently, um, I've got a couple of things on the go, but the two that I wanted to talk about, one is Inventing the Enemy by Umberto Eco, and the other one is Bloodstone by Carl Edward Wagner. Um, Inventing the Enemy is is a lot of fun. It's a collection of essays by Umberto Eco, um, obviously a very, a very famous um, semiotician, I think is the word they use to describe him sometimes. Um, wrote a number of novels, wrote a number of essays, all that sort of stuff. Always fun to read. I have not read a ton of Echo, but I um, one of my favorite books is The Name of the Rose, um, which is his novel about um, a, a medieval monastery. Um, super fun book. Very, very, um, very good. Really a um, big influence on my own uh, writing in a lot of ways. It sort of showed me about kind of what I might like to, to what I might be interested in and how I might be able to, to kind of put together stories of my own in a, a similar way. So anyway, um, inventing the enemy is not, um, quite as groundbreaking as, um, name of the rose. It's a collection of essays. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's, it's good. I've read the first couple of essays. I'm almost halfway. Um, and they've all been that kind of, um, classic blend of a whole bunch of different things that Umberto Eco is interested in and knows about and that he feels like is worth sharing. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good collection and, um, I will talk more about it when I have finished it. The other thing I have been reading is Bloodstone by Carl Edward Wagner, which is one of the Cain books. There are six books about Cain, the mystic swordsman, three uh, kind of shorter novels, and three collections of uh, short stories or novellas um, about Cain. Um, I have read... Darkness Weaves and Death Angel's Shadow. Um, and those are those are two. Darkness Weaves is a, a novel about Cain and Death's Angel's Shadow. Death Death Angel's Shadow is a um, collection of three sort of novellas or long short stories about Cain. Um, both of them were really good. Bloodstone has been really great. Um, it's super fun. Um, really, really high quality sword and sorcery fiction. Um, intense and just awesome and a lot of fun. The character of Kane is really interesting and um, worth reading about. In a, he's, he's a really fascinating character. I won't kind of spoil it too much, except that he's is where Conan is sort of chaotic neutral or even chaotic good. Um, sometimes at least chaotic, chaotic violent, I guess you might say, but a, a sort of good heart in him in a lot of ways. Um, Kane is like neutral evil um, with similar kind of capability. Um, Similarly, a, a kind of big brawny character, but he's he's more kind of thoughtful 
and he's cunning and he's 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 really interesting um and he's he's very knowledgeable about um a whole lot of different things but some some kind of esoteric stuff as well so anyway kane the mystic swordsman is a great fun series um there are like i said six books in the series and this is the third of them that i have read um i don't know about the order that the series is supposed to be in um i think i may have read them out of order accidentally but I don't think it matters that much to to read them out of order. They're all kind of self-contained stories in many ways. Um, but yeah, Bloodstone. Bloodstone is really fun. If you have not read any of the uh, Kane stories, I would recommend trying to find a copy of at least one of them. Um, Bloodstone may be a good place to start because it's it's a really just a, a, a really fun story. It's um, a great adventure and there's lots of lots of different kind of pieces to it that kind of a, a number of different set pieces essentially that are, are all classic kind of sword and sorcery concepts, but with kind of Carl Edward Wagner's particular um, bent to them. Um and yeah, it's it's a whole lot of fun. Um, I'm having a blast with Bloodstone. I um, read. I'm I'm like three quarters of the way through it after I think two days of reading, um, or a day and a half of reading actually, because I finished Flame Wind, uh, Swords of Fire, not Flame Winds. I finished Swords of Fire on Tuesday, and then today, Monday or Tuesday. And today is Thursday. Yeah, I finished playing Swords of Fire on Tuesday, and today is Thursday. So a day and a half of reading Bloodstone, and I'm way far in because I'm enjoying it so much. Um, I'm probably going to finish it this this uh, afternoon or evening. And um, yeah, it's it's been really fun. It's really gotten me thinking about uh, working on a game of my own, kind of trying to figure out how I would create something that feels similar to these stories. I've got some ideas for that. Um, and I might end up working on that some. Um, I'm not entirely sure what I would do with that, but I've got I've got a couple of ideas, a couple of kind of systems that might um, work for something like that and kind of ways to to approach something like that. What I'm really thinking about is, um, how to create a sword and sorcery RPG that would feel less Conan and more Kane, less less uh, Moorcock, Elric, Eternal Champion, and more Kane. Um, really create something that feels like the feel of these stories that I like so much. Um, not because I dislike those other ones. I, I mean, I really love Howardian Sword and Sorcery. I really love... Um, a number of these other um, authors works. Um, I really like a lot of these different um, pulp sword and sorcery authors, but Carl Edward Wagner um, in particular has a, the Kane stories that I've read have been really awesome and really fun. And I would like to figure out how to um, capture that particular feel in a game so i'm sort of thinking about that i've got a couple of ideas i think that might be the next episode that i do on the podcast is kind of my ideas for that um so yeah that is what i've been reading what i'm reading right now um inventing the enemy and bloodstone like I said, I'm probably going to finish Bloodstone today. Um, maybe finish Inventing the Enemy on Saturday or Sunday, seems likely. And then I'm not sure what I'm going to read after that. But um, that's a whole bunch of talk about books. I hope you have enjoyed. Maybe you've even found uh, a book that you might um, be interested in. Um, certainly Bloodstone or Dream Castles, the early Jack Vance volume two, both of those would be, um, high on my list for recommendations for books to check out if you have not read them. Um, 
but yeah, that is, uh, I think that is going to be that. So, um, let's go to the outro. All right. That's it. That's the episode. That's all I got. Almost an hour. Well, it'll be more than an hour after the outro is added. So uh, a big, long episode for you guys. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not sure if long episodes are are listened to more or listened to less or whatever. But um, yeah, this one's a long one. So I hope you have enjoyed. If you want to get in contact with me, I am at cows from Powis on Twitter. I'm also obviously here on Anchor, anchor.fm slash Pelham's Wasteland. And I have a YouTube channel called Live from Pelham's Wasteland uh, where you can find uh, similar content to what's on here often um, and some of my like uh, solo plays and things like that if you are interested in that. So, yeah, I think that is everything. Um, I'll just add that um, obviously this is uh, still in the midst of pandemic time and all that sort of stuff. So um, I really hope that all my listeners are um, staying safe, staying healthy, doing well, all that sort of stuff. Um, And uh, yeah, that things are going all right. Um, Yeah, I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.